Clement K. Talk YA now presents Golden Sun, Part 1 of the Red Rising Trilogy by Pierce Brown. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And welcome to our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week, we are starting Golden Boy... Nope. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) He is kind of a golden boy. (laughs) Golden Sun. Oh man, I can't even get the name of the book right. Um, By Pierce Brown. It's the second book of the Red Rising trilogy. Uh, You know, I was thinking of... um, I was thinking of Stay Golden Pony Boy. <laughs> what did you just say? From Stay Golden Pony Boy from The Outsiders. Oh, I haven't read The Outsiders <laughs> in so long. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not talking about The Outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> Although we are talking about an outsider. That's true. If you will. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking, that's Daryl, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> or is it Severo? Or is it, they're kind of all their own. There's a lot of outsiders in some ways. Okay. All right. <laughs> I started making a list of like, you know how at the end of last week we were talking about, I wonder who from the old crew is going to be there and who from the new crew is going to be there, or, you know, and who else we'll meet. I think it was a really nice blend of familiar characters and like building off some of those relationships and whatnot, but then also some fun new people. Yes. And I also appreciate that in my hard copy of Golden Sun, there is... Uh, a glossary in the front of all of the names of the characters and who they are. Yep. And which house they belong to. Yeah, which is so helpful. The only thing that would be even more helpful is if there was like a pronunciation guide for all of their names. But <laughs> I would still butcher them, but <laughs> that would be helpful. Phonetic spelling's not easy either. In my book too, even before that, there's a page that like lists the colors and kind of how they rank. And oh, the, I have that too. Um, I thought it was kind of cool. There's like some interesting symbols and stuff. I meant to do some more research into if any of that means anything in other life. but uh, In like hieroglyphics? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to do some hieroglyphics. I don't even know how to research that, but I was going to try. <laughs> if you had like one of those etch pads, you could like draw it into your computer and submit it to Google. I wonder if, oh, that'd be really cool if you could do that one day. We know I can barely get my computer to like turn on, so I definitely can't do that. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, so, yeah, there are a lot of new characters in this book. Also, there was a huge time shift. Well, the young elites there is like a couple year time shift too, wasn't there? Yeah, that's true. I don't know why this one threw me so much. I actually, like, when I started reading it, I went back, I went on Goodreads because I thought that I was reading the books out of order. I was like, oh, this must be the third one, because it seemed like so much had got on, all of a sudden Darrow's 20 years old, he's at this academy, he's a scarred, what is it called? A peerless scarred? Yep, not a peerless sacred. Yep. <laughs> I kept saying that in my mind when I was reading it still. No, it's true though, but I kind of liked it because I feel like if it was too much of like the games, like a different version of the games, like it made sense that he had to go through more training and you know that the, these two years like he was learning and all this stuff, but I think it would have been a little bit boring to live that all through the book. Like, I kind of like that it jumped and we're in sort of a different phase of his life and revolution right now. 
Yeah, that's true. And it is completely different. I mean, I like that he's outside of school. He's... It's cool to see all the different colors interacting now. Yeah, it really is. And I like that we're seeing some of the different ones. Like, we're seeing some more blues. We're seeing some obsidians. It helps get a better idea of what each color does. I didn't realize, though, that um, the their actual people are the color themselves. Like, the pinks have pink eyes, and the violets have, like, violet eyes and maybe hair. I didn't realize that the colors extended so far into, like, their physical selves. Yeah, I didn't... I think I actually picked up on that a little bit, but I... It's good to think about. It's kind of... It would be interesting to see how... You know when he tried to disguise himself and he couldn't because he was... Or he could, but not super well because he was so physically different and then they're like, the best we can mm-hmm. do is, you know... You're the city in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we're learning so much, too, about, like, the different interactions between colors like how they can't breed with each breed they can't like you know have children with each other like they're there's not so compatible. many strict rules yeah every so single weird. group has such a strict rule um yeah it was interesting who was it e- evie evie what's her name? evie yeah um first of all to see how harmony like was kind of a terrible ally to her else she kept talking about reds 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 and like ignoring the <laughs> fact that she was a pink yeah. but um that whole thing about Cupid's kiss and the, like, they experience pain for the first however many years of their oh, life. Man. Yeah, and, and how they it only eases up when they obey or something. Yeah, that was crazy. That's really messed up. And that's, is that with all the lower color? No, I guess it's not with reds. It's just, just for pinks? I think pinks are the only ones who can't um, breed or whatever. Mm-hmm. They sterilize them. And I'm also really curious more about the Obsidian's background, like just talking about, it sounds like they had a revolution before or something, and then the Golds like took away all their technology and like, you know, they can't touch each other now, it's against the Mm -hmm. law for them to touch and all this stuff. And I'm kind of curious, I hope we see more of that because I'm like really intrigued by the Ragnar, is that his name? Yeah, the um, <clears throat> the stained is that what they call him? Oh yeah, so he, but he's obsidian, right? He's a spe- he's like the lead of he's the stained. Special, I mean, he's yeah, a- I think he's a special type of obsidian. It's kind of like <laughs> the scarred, right? Like he's like yes, okay. His um introduction made me just laugh out loud. <laughs> Are you the godson or whatever he's saying? Well, yeah, and then it was so. Of course, I didn't highlight it because that would have been the smart thing to do. But like, just look through. It's oh, always bold it. when he talks. I found it? it. I just started laughing out loud because his uh, his introduction was so ridiculous, and and I was just like, is this a joke? Because all right, I found it. His first thing that he says is. <laughs> God, child Andromedus, I am Ragnar Valaris, the stained firstborn of my mother, Aaliyah Snow Sparrow, of the Valkyrie Spires, north of the Dragon Spine, south of the Fallen City, where the winged horror flies, brother of Selfie the Quiet, breaker of Thanos, which once stood by the water, and I make you an offering of stains. Like, yeah. that is a mouthful of a name. If you didn't know where he came from, now you could go visit his house, though, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, he gave you, like, the street <laughs> The coordinates, and, yeah. You know, I keep all my money in my bedside drawer. Like, he told him everything about himself, but, like, it, I didn't understand who this person was and why he was talking so strange. And I didn't know if it was meant to be humorous or not, because 
I mean, that just sounded ridiculous. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like he's supposed to be a joke. Like, he's supposed to be, I don't know, formidable? Well, I kind of like that he has that lighthearted side a little bit, too, even if it's maybe not intentional. But because he's so kind of scary otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> like, how many... Um, golds did he kill by himself? Like at the very beginning, it was like six golds and four something. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Yeah, he kills a bunch of them. <laughs> I do love when they shoot themselves into that ship, um, Daryl and Severo. <laughs> I love just seeing the ship and seeing that whole rebellion, and it was very uh, reminiscent of, you know, what happened in the games, how he took the slaves and basically said, if you're loyal to me, you're free. Mm -hmm. It it felt very similar, but it was also just so cool to see. Like, I really like the new blue captain. I forget her name now. And I really like Ragnar. And I'm kind of curious to see how it all plays out when, because he's still, his his most trusted people right now are still kind of the golds, even though he's planning to turn against them. You know, like most of his... Right, his crew. Assistants are other golds. Orion is the blue. Yeah. But I mean, like, who he relies on for advice, I think, are still, you know, what, it's still, Roke and yeah. Mustang and all of them. And it's still Severo, especially now, like, we have that big reveal with Severo that he now knows that Darrow's a red. I'm so glad <sighs> that someone else knows. What a relief. It has to be, it's like, you know when you have, like, a huge secret and, like, you feel like you have to tell someone, and when you finally do, it's the best feeling ever. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine how relieved he must feel that, like, someone else can share this with him. And then also he revealed that Aries is still around and Dancer is still alive. So that was also yeah. kind of interesting to see Harmony really went off on her own. But also the fact that Aries hadn't tried to contact him at all still bothers me after so long. Okay, so I have a theory about Aries. Okay, let's hear it. I, I think I know who it is. Okay, who do you think it is? I think it's Mustang. Because, I'll tell you why. Okay. Because she, they keep saying, like, every time they mention Aries, they always refer to him as a he, and then every time someone says, what makes you so sure that he's a he? And they always keep, like, dropping that hint. Uh-huh. And then I also think that she might be Aries because she's been kind of pushed aside so much by her father who like you know when they were at the institute he was favoring the jackal but then he started eating people so he couldn't support (laughs) him anymore and then he favored um leto yeah and and she does kind of have this view of a future world that seems more fair like she knows about persephone she knows the song she seems like She's kind of fighting for a different world, too. So, And she's enough on the outskirts that I don't think her loyalty to her family would hold her... Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think she would necessarily choose her family over her dream of a better world. Because she, I mean, they've treated she her already, crap, She so. already chose the dream over her family in the games. But her family is yeah. super important to her. That's true. But, I mean, it doesn't mean, like, they have to die. I think no, I know. She could ju- I, I feel like she would maybe work to preserve both of them. But that's my theory. I'm on the fence. I kind of, I'm not sure. Okay. Who do you think it is? I don't know who I think it is. That's why, like, I don't have a better suggestion. I just feel like their interactions are kind of weird if he, if she knows he's red. Like, I feel like for all, you know, I feel like she thinks he's hard to read and he has all this, like, all these secrets and stuff. And I kind of feel like if she knew he was red, then she would 
accept that more or something. But she's also super clever and she might be just acting. Yeah. Well, I do like your idea that it could be um, a girl. And it seems like all the girls keep dying. Like, now Quinn's gone. Oh, man. I know. That was awful. And I feel so bad for Severo, too, because... I know. He really loved her and he never... Like, he never even tried to be with her because he just didn't think he was good enough. And now she's gone. And, and I think Roke and, um, what's his name? Darrow have some serious issues they need to work out. Are you sorry that I stabbed you with a syringe? <laughs> yeah, that part I understand. But then also if you look at what happened, I think he could maybe believe that he thought he was trying to protect him, right? I know, but then he knows... If he had set up the bomb, then he would have known that well, yeah. Sarah was behind it. Yeah. So that, now whatever. he just has no idea why he stabbed him with a syringe since he didn't set up the bomb off. But he did try to start a civil war. But Oh my god, okay, that part was awesome. He also, this is another one of those with Cassius, you know how I said, get over it, dude, I know it was your brother. I kind of feel the same way about this with Roke, and maybe he does get over it in the next chapter, I don't know. But I feel like for some of the deaths and things that happen, like Quinn and Julian are two of the ones that I kind of don't blame him that much for. Like Quinn knew what she was, you know, like they, she was part of the rescue. She wasn't pressured to do anything or, you know, she was, yeah. she was being a soldier in a fight and it sucks and it was a terrible way to go. And it's, you know, helps paint how the sovereign and the, what do they call the three... Asia and whatever. Oh, the Furies. Yeah, the Fury. Like how crazy they are, but I don't really think that's his fault. I think, I think that maybe Roke knows that there's something that Darrow's not telling him. Yeah, and he is so elusive, and he's so like the trust is just broken. Yeah, and he just it he withholds a lot, and he isn't open with them, and so it's hard to trust someone like that, especially when people around you are sacrificing their lives for you. It's kind of like. You know, you need to tell me everything that's going on and keep us really informed or we can't, we can't trust you. I think that's what's going on. Yeah. What do you think of Victra? She's another one of the new characters that I think I kind of like. I like her too. Um, I feel kind of bad for her though because I don't think Darrow will ever like her the way she wants him to like her. And I think she's the type of person who it's hard for her to be vulnerable around people. So when she finally is around Daryl and he kind of rejects her, I, I felt kind of bad for her. Yeah. Especially now that Mustang's back. Like, I don't think he'll be distracted by a different girl. No, I definitely don't. Maybe she'll switch her attention to some one of these other people. I hope she stays loyal because I was just thinking like, oh, what if she... Well, Tactus... Tactus yeah. did not stay loyal. Oh, man. Not, not only, I, I kind of get, no, I don't really get it. I don't really get it. But I still, I wish, even if he had taken that kid, if he had taken um, Lysander, um, I wish he had, like, done it at a different time so they would have had a shot of getting away or something without, yeah, you know, changing the paradigm and going all crazy. Although that was a really cool scene and I'm glad it happened, but I, it just made me, like, really mad at him. <laughs> I agree. So speaking of that, <laughs> okay, did you do some research? Yeah, I didn't really do very much research, but when we were reading um, right before they came up with their plan and the blue who was running their first ship said something along the lines of, 
you know, if we don't have enough survival helmets, so if there's a hole, like, hold your breath, and then there was, like, an argument about, like, our lungs will explode if we do that, and she was like, well, then exhale and... And share oxygen. Yeah, so I looked up what you should really do if you were in space. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And instead, I just found a bunch of different ways space can kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can I just tell you that um, I was terrified of space when I was little like terrified of, ha- of for some reason being forced into space like that was ever gonna be a thing <laughs> it happens in a lot of movies you know so they force you into space <laughs> well I mean but I don't know I don't know so I was like you know how in game shows the prize was always a trip to space camp <laughs> I was always I had such um anxiety as a child about about all these things that would have had to line up for me to go into space, which would be enter a game show with my family, which would have never happened, and then win said game show, which, I mean, I watched a lot of, a lot of Double Dare as a child, so that, I mean, that still wasn't going to happen, and then have the prize be a trip to space camp, and that thought just terrified me of, like, having to go to space camp. And then you go to space camp, and they somehow force you into space, and then you're in space. So basically, you were afraid of going on game shows because of your intense fear of space. And being lost in space for the rest of my life. <laughs> I was a weird child, Katie. Well, I'm glad you never won a game show. <laughs> anyway, tell me about how to die in space so I can, you know, keep this anxiety going into my adult life. <laughs> okay, well, so the first example of how you can die in space is called explosive decompression. Oh, that sounds so terrible. <laughs> um, and that, so essentially when, you know, if there's something, a hole in your spaceship, you're suddenly exposed to a complete vacuum, right? Okay, sure. (laughs) And so this article is saying if you don't try and hold your breath during this, you'll survive for about 30 seconds before you sustain permanent injuries. But if you do hold your breath during the decompression, the gas in your lungs will expand because there's no um, ambient pressure, and that will eventually cause internal ruptures in in your pulmonary tissue. So, so your lungs will explode? Your lungs will explode, yes. Oh, dear God. And as they explode, the gas that they contain will be transformed into massive internal air bubbles that will meander throughout your body and will eventually find the way to your vital organs, such as your heart and your brain. And then this article has a funny comment, which after brain it says, which may not actually be a vital organ, depending on who you are. <laughs> and so if the air makes its way to your heart, you'll go into cardiac arrest and die. And if it makes its way to your brain, you'll have a massive stroke and die. Is it painful? Does um, it hurt? I think like on a scale of one to paintball, how much does it hurt? Uh, I did not do that piece. But I have, there's other ways you can die where it tells you a little bit more about how much it hurts. I, I mean, I think okay. if you, um, I think it would hurt. I think if your lungs exploded, I'm going to go, <laughs> that would hurt a lot more <laughs> than paintball. But I just don't know if like, if you'd be conscious through it all like is it something that happens so fast where it's just like you don't feel anything i don't know i hope i never find out anyway tell me about more ways well hopefully you'll never win a game show so it won't be a problem (laughs) okay so then another way you can die is embolism is that how you say it embolism yep so after about 10 seconds all the moisture in your body starts to evaporate and again this is because there's no pressure so the body or the boiling point of your liquid blood yeah will decrease so um 
You turn into a raisin. So they said that's actually extremely painful. If you think that like boiling body fluids or evaporating body fluids doesn't, you know, sounds okay, it's actually not. So on August 16th, 1960, Joe Kittinger, um, he's one of the people who attempted to break the world record for the highest parachute jump. He ascended 19 and a half miles. And during this time, he lost pressurization in part of his suit, and he felt like an odd sensation in his right hand. Um, But he continued on his mission because, you know, the rest of his suit was fine. So the only part of his body that was exposed to this was his hand. Um, And as he, you know, went further up, the fluid continued to evaporate, and it caused his hand to swell to over twice its normal size. And he compared it to, you know, that feeling when, like, your foot falls asleep mm-hmm. and you have like a lot of tiny little needle pricks all over yeah, your skin. Yeah, it's happening to me right now. He said it was like that, but the pain can paralyze you. <laughs> oh. Did he fix it? Um, so he, I think did. I should have probably followed up on that. <laughs> I would just want to, <laughs> as he just stuck with but, a hand but then they two say, times larger than his other one. As, as the moisture continues to evaporate, you lose control of your bodily function. So you'll simultaneously defecate, vomit, and urinate. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a given. So that's the think. first 10 seconds. And then in the following 20 seconds and the first 30 seconds is when your lungs are going to collapse. And then there's also the issue of freezing. So, you know, you got to be careful of that. And then there were, some, there were a couple other reasons, but those are my two favorite. And this is what happens when you're sucked into space. This is what happens if you are suddenly like in a complete vacuum like in space so if you um the article like frames it like if you decide to be in like in the movies and just wander out of your spaceship with no spacesuit, or i think it would be similar to what happens in this book a lot where suddenly there's a hole in your spaceship and you're just in the void of space <laughs> the takeaway i'm getting from this is just don't go into space period just don't do it so it made me feel bad for all of the people who i already felt bad for who were dying in space with nothing to do yeah, because that's not a fun way to go. Nope. Yikes. Well, you've just um, solidified my reasons for not wanting to go to space camp, so thank you. But the most immediate threat is just basic oxygen deprivation. So within 15 seconds, the blood that doesn't have any O2 will get to your brain and you'll pass out and die. I hope that you pass out before any of the other stuff happens. Yeah, I think you I think you really would. Oh, good. If you went out with like absolutely no protection. Well, either way, you're going to be gone pretty fast. Which I guess is kind of a nice thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to suffer, right? <laughs> There's like this, um, did I tell you about this? We have uh, some hazard items that we sell at work. Mm-hmm. And in our database, we have warnings that go with them that are not written by us. They're written by the people who sell them. <laughs> and I came across one the other day. I forget what it was for. But it was like, warning, do not touch this. And it said underneath, not only will it kill you, it will hurt the entire time you're dying. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I was like, oh, my God. That does sound pretty unpleasant. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. mm. Well, speaking of unpleasant ways to die. <clears throat> as always. What do we call it? <laughs> one bummer one. after another? <laughs> Yeah, that's just our podcast. This is the Doom and Gloom podcast. <laughs> one bummer, one big bummer after another. Yep. Um, so I was researching, I was really, really liked the scene when Darrow um, steps up on the table of House Bologna, like determined to start this civil war and just starts kicking over their dinner plates and insulting mm-hmm. them. 
And I really liked the scene when he and Cassius had their duel. And so I, um, I mean, and I love the scene. It was almost like The Princess Bride, which, I mean, one of my favorite movies, <laughs> when Wesley's dueling with Indigo Montoya and they're both really good. And then halfway through, he's like, I know something you don't know. I am not right-handed or not left-handed. And they switch hands and the other guy does too. Because I love when um, Darrow reveals that he was trained by Lauren D'Arcos, the famous cravat teacher. Yep. And so I was trying to think of this idea of cravat, which is in the book a, a fantastical kind of style of, of sword fighting. Mm-hmm. Fighting and it seemed kind of like it was based based a little bit off of martial arts and it, there's like a there's like a beauty to it mm-hmm. right so it's there's like a fluidity there's a series of movements so I was trying to think what could this be based off of so the closest I could find was um, a Brazilian martial arts move or a Brazilian martial art practice that's called the capoeira I think I pronounced that right okay I practiced tell me more. Um, and I know this actually, I knew this before I actually read the book because I do this workout video called Brazilian Boom Boom. <laughs> and that's the name of it. And the um, guy always says that some of the moves are inspired by capoeira. And so it's a martial arts dance that combines elements of acrobatics, dance, and it's, um, it's known for quick and complex maneuvers using speed, power, and leverage um, across a variety of kicks, spins, and techniques. I think you now need to post a video of you doing this to our Facebook or Instagram. I, the only person I will allow to see me doing the Brazilian Boom Boom workout is Chad. And <laughs> there's always a part that he just like dies laughing because the moves are just so ridiculous and I can't keep a straight face when I do them. <laughs> um, but... So the style emphasizes, um, oh, so it features a series of complex positions and body postures, which are meant to be chained together in a flow. And um, so you're not supposed to break motion. It's like supposed to be very fluid. And they also use a lot of feints and uh, fakes to kind of try and trick your opponent, which you see them do in the book. And... How cool is this? So the capoeira also um, historically included the use of weapons, the most common of which were razors. Oh. Yeah, which is like the weapon that they use in the book. That's awesome. Although, can I say one thing, though? Yeah. I, like, did not – I am starting to get frustrated with Darrow for keeping so many secrets from us, too. (laughs) I agree. And, and, like, I was having trouble. I, like, did not understand where this Lorne guy came from. And at first I thought he was joking about it. Like, I thought he was – because the big thing before was that he, like, sucked at the razor. And I still don't really yeah. understand why this guy decided to train him after he – because he got second place in the Institute. Like, and he trained him in secret for two months and nobody knew even though he's, like, a really big deal. Including yeah. his friends. Like, I don't know. Something about – like, does this guy live on Mars too, I guess? Oh, I, I don't know. We don't know anything about him. And I was angry about that, too, because I was like, oh, great. You trained for the, with this master for years. We'll just take your word on it because we didn't see a bit of it in the book. And it was yeah. just like... Yeah, and it was even know. during the book because it was after the first chapter or whatever. And then oh, yeah, it... Yeah. I, like, I don't know. I just don't want it to be like all of a sudden whatever else he's not good at. We're like, oh, but also secretly, I became the best ever <laughs> in okay. the last five minutes. 
Yeah, no more secrets, Darrow. We're all on your side. Although so, some of the stuff that's... Ha- I do feel like we were a little bit more in the know this time and that he was doing some of those, like, you know, flying by the seat of his pants a little bit. But that one was one that I was like, oh, great. Now I know when you challenge Cassius, you have a shot because before you didn't. <laughs> and, yeah, and also it's just, like, it's hard as for writing style. It's hard to do that to your readers because... It's hard for your reader to care about a character who they haven't seen, who is just quickly introduced, and yet is so is meant to be so meaningful to the plot of your book. It's just it's mm-hmm. a it's a really difficult thing to do and have it come off correctly, I think, because you know, we can only care about the people that we see and the people who we have, you know, a history with and who we learn a lot about. And so to spring that, spring characters like that on you who have a huge impact, but we don't know anything about, I think it can be, it it can be not a smart move. Yeah. I want to know more about him now too, because it sounds like Lysander is also his grandkid. I guess. (laughs) And like, like, I just feel like all of a sudden this guy's like connected to everything. Maybe he's Aries. Ooh, that's my new hypothesis. Lorne de Arcos? No. I really want it to be a woman. (laughs) I know. But I don't, there's no, like, women left besides Mustang, and I can't agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't agree with you. Okay. Well, um, so, okay, so I also did... Oh, wait, speaking of women, though, this is, and then I'll let you go back to your research. Another thing I thought was really interesting when we saw Harmony again was that she was the one who had um, selected, what was the other red guy's name? Titus? No. Tactus? Titus? Oh, the royal... No. You know the the other red to gold person who died in the first book? I forget his name now. Titus. Um, I thought it was interesting to see that she had selected him. Bad choice. Yeah. But also kind of made sense with who she was. Yeah. Anyways, continue. What else did you research? Mm, Okay. Well, actually, it ties into women, too. So I I researched a little bit more about dueling. I know you covered this topic a little bit when we did... um, (laughs) Uh, Not very much, though. <laughs> well, when we read Young Elites, there was a big duel that resulted in a, a unexpected death. So there was, there's just a lot of dueling in Red Rising. And so I mm-hmm. kind of wanted to go into it a little bit more. So um, I learned that um, dueling back in the day, like Renaissance, medieval, whatever, was usually fought as a result of a slight or an insult to one's honor. So they were fought to, as like, you know, to defend your honor, and they were fought mostly not to kill your opponent, but to gain personal satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of nutso. So during the reign of Henry the Fourth, there were 4,000 French aristocrats who were killed in duels over an 18-year period. Oh my goodness. Yeah, How many aristocrats were there? I mean... Not as many as there should have been because they were all <laughs> killing themselves off. And then during the 20-year period of Louis XIII's reign, um, 8,000 aristocrats died. Wow. Because of duels, which is just an obscene number to me. And back then, weren't there tons of other things killing people? Like the plague? I don't know. Yeah. That wiped out a few. Also, there was a plague mentioned in this book. Did you, did you catch that? Oh, I didn't. No. It was like a one-sentence thing when they were talking about some country on Earth that had the plague. And I was just like, there's a plague in every book. And also, it was more than one oh. country. <laughs> no, but like happening, like it came back in, during this book. Oh. Somewhere on Earth. Current Earth in this book. There was like a sentence about how it had come back or something. Oh, well, I don't maybe know. we'll I see. Forget. I should have taken a picture of it. Um, okay, so 
um, for dueling, there <laughs> there was a, a code of dueling that was first published in Italy um, that set a set of rules for dueling to try and like regulate the duels and limit how many people died. And I loved the rules. I looked at the rules of these of duels based on this code code duello, and it's really great. So the first step is the challenger would issue a public grievance. Um, against the person who offended them and then that person could either publicly apologize or make um, you know do some other make another apology or do some kind of restitution you know to say that he was sorry or if not he could accept a duel and he got to choose the weapons what were the choices Um, it was mostly a sword but then later on um, it became pistols Okay, because I always think of, like, the Wild West, and it's pistols. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and all the horse operas. (laughs) A lot of pistols in the horse operas, yeah. A lot of duels going on. Um, And so then the challenger got to propose a place for the duel, and the, the person who was accused could either accept that proposal, or they could propose a new alternative location, like proposing a new meeting time. But um, the location had to be a place where they could avoid being arrested. And so I thought this was interesting. The constables would actually set aside designated places for duels and they would spread the word so that, um, you know, common people could avoid those areas to avoid being hurt. Okay. Which I thought was smart. So basically you could be like, let's meet at the dueling field on 7th Street. And then someone else could be like, no, let's meet at the dueling field on... By the California Blue Line stuff. Yeah. Um, and so then each side would bring their personal doctor in three seconds, and you always hear the their idea personal like, doctor. Is that what you said? Yeah, a personal physician. Okay. And then three seconds, and this was interesting to me because I always thought your second was like the guy who would step in if you were killed to finish the duel, uh-huh. and, and that's not what they do at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> what do they do? So, and why are there three seconds? There are three seconds, and um. So the, the second job, their job was to try and reconcile the parties before the duel even started. So they would kind of act as go-betweens and attempt to kind of calm things down and settle the dispute and prevent the duel. And sometimes it worked and like everyone would go home because the seconds would do their job. And sometimes it wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. So if the duel were to proceed, then they would set the terms of it the It sounds duel. like a lot of times it didn't work because there were 8,000 people who died in 20 years. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. they should have had better seconds, really. Like, Especially if there's three on each side. You think if there's six people trying to make peace between you. Oh you might listen goodness. to them. Um, and also, okay, so I learned that, um, you know how a lot of duels have the terms of like, we'll, we'll duel until first blood is drawn. Yep. So that actually was considered really dishonorable and actually unmanly. Um, and it was more common to fight until one party was unable to continue or until the personal physicians called a halt and were like, you're done, stop. And um, yeah, so duels to the death were also rare, but a lot of people ended up dying because of their wounds. But Especially the... if it's till you can't continue, you think yeah, there's got to be some serious-ish wounds. Like yeah. Cassius losing his sword arm. Um and the reason that first blood was considered unmanly was because there was such a thing back in the day called petticoat duels, and they were duels between women. 
and they were traditionally fought until someone drew blood. And honestly, did, did they use swords? So much fun. They used swords, and but the thing that like kind of made me a little angry was the reason for the women's duels are just so absurd and so cliched. It actually kind of made me a little bit angry. So the earliest recorded duel between women was between these two um, Italian women from Naples. One was Diambra di Pettinella and Isabella di Carazzi in 1552. And they were fighting over a man. Of course they were. Yeah. Could on. men and women duel each other or did you have to duel your own gender? Oh, that's a good question. I think it was um, same-sex dueling only. I don't know. That, okay. That's just called domestic abuse, Katie. <laughs> That's just how the Italians get divorced. <laughs> um, okay. So, in this duel, they're, yeah, they're fighting over this guy, and I don't actually know how that ended, but some of the other reasons that... I bet a lot of guys dueled over women, too, in their defense. Oh, for sure. For sure. Some of the other reasons that women had duels were... Um, so, sometimes two actresses would get into a fight, because they would, like, challenge each other's craft. Like, I'm a better actress. No, I'm a better actress. <laughs> so these were the original cat fights. Exactly, yeah. It's the original Mean Girls. And sometimes there were, like, high society ladies would have duels over who should host events. <laughs> and- <laughs> That's my favorite. That's my personal favorite. <laughs> oh, it gets better. It gets better. So there were, there were two women who fought a duel over the superiority of French female doctors over American female doctors. <laughs> who won? I don't know. It sounds like, it sounds like two women fighting over vac- like va- whether or not to vaccine your, vaccinate your kid. <laughs> <laughs> and great. then the most famous petticoat duel was in 1892, and it was two Austrian women. One was Princess Pauline Metternich, and then the Countess Anastasia Kielmansegg, whatever. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course it was her. Sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce your names. Um, the reason they had a duel was because they couldn't agree over the floral arrangements for the Vienna Musical Theater exhibition. <laughs> and the reason this duel was so, so famous was because their, when they went to fight this duel, their physicians told them that if their clothing got torn, the scraps of clothing could get into their wounds and they could cause sepsis. So they fought the duel naked from the waist down. <laughs> Interesting. And yeah, and they made the few men who were in attendance, they made them stand really far away from the duel and turn their backs to it so they couldn't see them. And then Pauline cut Anastasia on the nose. And then Anastasia stabs Pauline in the arm, and then they called it quits. Isn't there, wait, one was a countess and one was a princess? Isn't there some, like, hierarchy yeah. there where, like, princess trumps countess? And not over I, floral rings. I guess dueling's allowed, dueling is a level playing field. I mean, can you imagine fighting over a floral arrangement? Um, honestly, no. I mean, there were some heated debates over the centerpieces at my wedding, but, like, we didn't have a duel over it. Well, you did it wrong. <laughs> At my wedding, there will definitely be a duel. <laughs> <laughs> to first blood or to... Until one can't continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be naked from the waist down, of course. <laughs> oh, my so goodness. that's what I researched about dueling, and I thought... I, I enjoyed it immensely. I'm thinking that might be how I settle disputes with my roommate from now on. Although I don't have a sword, so maybe I'd use, like, 
a fork. <laughs> a cutlery duel. It's kind of like a sword, right? It's longer. I mean, a steak knife will probably do the trick. Oh, yeah, that would work, too. Guys, we listen, we do not condone dueling. Don't do it. Don't be a mean girl. Don't duel over men. <laughs> or floral arrangements. It's not worth it. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't get your petticoats in a twist. Do you think Octavia seems like she done messed up? She done messed up? <laughs> like... I don't know. I feel like I almost don't buy... Like, why does she care enough about Cassius? Like, he wanted the duel. He started the blood feud. Why did she change the rules at the last minute? Like, I get that... Like, it just seems like he's not valuable enough to her for her to have done that. Does that make sense? And maybe, again, it's one of those things where... I guess because he's one of the Olympian knights or whatever right now. So maybe that's, like, a much bigger deal than I realize. But... I sort of feel like if he was that injured already, I know the Bolognas would have been upset, but they would have been upset with the Augustuses. I mean, the reason that she wanted to back Cassius was because she was backing his house, and she wants them to take over House Augustus. Yeah, but publicly doing that was like such a poor move. Like, that's the whole reason why this whole civil war is allowed to happen, basically. I'm curious... To know what she has against House Augustus so much to the point where she wants to kill the entire house, essentially. Well, it sounds like she can't trust him and he was, like, lying about something. And it's, right? Like, when she was talking about when they were doing that truth game. Oh, And she was getting a Mustang to kind of agree that her family should die, which also... Octavia, do you really think that was... She was on board with that? I know. Anyways. Yeah. Um... I thought that was actually one of my favorite scenes, too. I did, too. I really liked that, too. And I liked that um, she, I mean, she lost at her own game. How embarrassing. Yeah, and it was interesting because, you know, I just, I love how they talk about shifting the paradigm all the time. Because the only reason that worked or that she lied about it was because Mustang was there. But also, then Mustang knew she lied about it. Again, it was one of those things where I was like, is that really the best move? Or do you just say, yes, I was planning to kill them? Because either way, Mustang now knows you're planning to kill them. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So, like, I think it's kind of, I I don't know, because I want to believe that Octavia is super smart, but it seems strange to me that she is deciding to trust Mustang wholeheartedly, whereas Mustang's like, no, I'm trying to infiltrate her inner circle so that I can learn everything about her and, like, crush her from within. Well, apparently Mus- Mustang's like a legitimate genius, as she yeah. stated the other day, <laughs> or the other day. <laughs> um, yeah. But I am kind of curious to hear more. So it sounds like she overthrew her dad, but there's also mm-hmm. some story about how when she was like 11 or something, she threw diamonds out of a carriage and started a, a like mad scene You're or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to hear more about her. She kind of reminds me of. Um, Lavana just a little bit right now because of <laughs> her like I need power and her turning on her familyness. Those are the two things. But yeah, I, and because I wanted... she's a queen on the moon, that might be that might be that the might other. Be it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you say everyone reminds you of Lavana. <laughs> All the bad people. Lavana is now my idea of evil. No, I'm just kidding. She's your standard. <laughs> oh, standard. That was the name of the um. The name of the thing that they were trying to capture. Oh, yeah. That we couldn't remember. <laughs> Standard. Okay. I'm really glad we cleared that up. I also thought it was interesting that other houses took advantage of the chaos and, like, that one family was all wiped out. Like, remember the people who went over and were, like, 
stepping on the babies and stuff. Oh, gosh, yeah. And they and they wiped out, like, that whole house except for one little girl got away. I'm also curious to see if she, like, comes back at some point or something or if I hope we don't so. care. I really hope so. Well, I mean, he... I also... I mean, go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I also really liked Lysander and how he, even though he was, like, a captive, was like, this guy's my hero. Like, you know he wanted to ask for an autograph at the same time. <laughs> So, like, it's so sweet, but he's starstruck by, like, the guy who kidnapped him, essentially. Yeah, and, like, Tactus flies by, and he's like, whoa, he's even bigger than I imagined, <laughs> you know? But he's, he's also, sweet. like, a pretty smart kid. I know, and he's Octavia's godson, so is he the, or grandson, so is he the next in line for the throne? It sounds like it, because it sounds like her daughter is dead, and it sounds like she's, like, raising him to be her heir. Yeah, I agree. So, but, uh, having... I don't, what is Tactus doing with him, though? I think he's bringing him back to, like, win favor with Octavia. So he just really wants to be aligned with whoever he thinks is the most powerful. And right now he thinks Octavia is He wants to powerful. elevate himself as much as he can. Yeah. I'm curious to see if he'll come back or if we'll ever trust him again or not. I'm not. You know? I, don't, I won't trust him again. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Will... It's, it's so Tactus, though. Yeah. I feel like we could warily trust him to be himself so if we can make sure that his ambition aligns with what we need from him he will do what we need but we can't ever like think he'll be loyal to us just because no 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 he fights for personal gain and that's all oh you know who else i liked speaking i'm just like all over the place but um i liked meeting pax's family his dad and his his brother that was sad i wish pax was one that i wish we'd gotten to know a little bit better yeah. Because I liked how he started out so kind of ferocious and then ended up being a really good friend. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like, the people who survive are all the people who betray him yeah. and all the, like, loyal people are the ones dying. Like, Quinn, too, I think was a really good person. Yeah. Same here. I, I yeah, I just really hope nothing happens to several. When are we going to find out who Ares is? I just want, I'm ready for that. Oh, me too. I don't like being kept in the dark. So do you, not, I mean, it's so do you think he's extent. not a red? Do you think he's, well, I guess you think he's a Mustang. Yeah. I think he's like a disillusioned gold girl. <laughs> okay, but then the other thing is, if he was Mustang, why would he need someone like Darrow? Because she, because the Reds won't follow a gold, you know? Like, the Reds won't trust a gold. Like, they, I feel like... But if the needs... ambition... But Darrow isn't necessarily going to get the trust of the Reds either. I don't think they're going to trust... If he went back to the mines now, I think... Maybe his family would be convinced. I guess if they saw his carving. Yeah. But you'd have to show the carving. Oh, like that you'd think they wouldn't even recognize him because they were like, They're not going to recognize him. He looks completely different. But he would know things that no other red would know. Or they'll think that they spy on. I'm just saying, like, I think it's going to be a lot harder for him unless they show the carving and then maybe they'd buy it. And I guess they have that video because that's what they showed several. Oh, my gosh. Also, we learned what Eo said to her sister. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I honestly, I'm, I'm like, annoyed that I didn't think of that. Because when you asked me, like, in the first section of the book, you were like, what do you think she told her sister? I had no idea. And now that I know, it's, I don't know, it just seems so obvious. Yeah, it's like, why would she not talk to her husband? It must be because she was trying to protect him from something. But I'm also kind of mad at her. Like, she I get. tell him? I, like, want to know if she knew more about yeah, and that she sang the song knowing that she was killing her unborn kid as well. And, like, their, you know, the whole future of their family. Yeah. I mean, because I want to know if she... Because part of me thinks she just thought, like, yeah, 
if she didn't know the whole truth, if she just knew that they were kind of lying, like, what did she really, ex- I don't know. Like, I want to find out that she knew a lot more about the Sons of Aries than yeah. I currently think she did so that I can, like, believe her sacrifice more. Because part of me thinks, like, doesn't get it. Part of me thinks that she knew a lot more than she let on. And I, it almost feels like she purposely told her sister that she was pregnant because she knew that um, her death would be the initial spark that would get Darrow going, but he would need something later on in his journey to propel him further. And so it, it, it almost seemed no, like... No, I think it was... I think she was just trying to protect him. She wanted to make sure that he didn't go home and see the crib and figure it out on his own because she thought it would destroy him. That's what oh, I think. Really? And I think otherwise, I think Dancer would have revealed it to him and not Harmony. The fact that Harmony revealed it makes me think even more that it was just like... She didn't want anyone to know. Yeah. But it was just such a good... I mean, it's an awful thing to hide from him, but it also was the thing that made him agree to do what Ares wanted him to do. You know, it like strengthened his resolve even further. No, but all it made him agree to do is the bombing part. And then luckily he remembered what she actually said to him beforehand. It just made him oh, want revenge. that's true. That's true. It, like, made him angry. Yeah. Instead and of hurt him. him realize, yeah, you're right. I think, um, I, have an, I have a theory now for, oh, okay, so this is, this is kind of far-fetched, but just because we don't know that much about his dad yet, but we know his dad died and sang this song before, what if his dad didn't really die either in his Aries? Darrow's dad? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because, I mean. Because his uncle was the one who connected them, you know, his dad's brother, and then, true. I don't know, it's kind of far-fetched. Oh, but. that would be great, because then it's like. Because maybe he was still in contact with er- with um, his wife. Yeah, potentially. And was like feeding her information, and that's how she knew so much. And that would make me, and that would make me like respect her more if there was a bigger plan when she did all of that instead yeah. of just it happening to spark all this stuff. Yeah, it would be it would be more um, like well thought out. Yeah. On her part. Ooh. Oh man, I really want to find out what happens. I, I don't know. know where he is. Although I kind of like the idea that it's not a red and that it is a disillusioned gold. I guess we'll find out. Um, I also... <laughs> you go ahead. You go. Um, okay, I was, I was going to say, I also really like... Um, I like all the references to, like, ancient Greek and Roman figures. There's just so many that I can't, like, look up every name and figure out who they are and what, they're, what they did. But um, the one that kind of stuck with me was the one you were talking about last week with Achilles. Um... And it just kind of seems like Achilles, that Darrow is um, kind of an Achilles figure. Mm-hmm. And because I think, I forget, I think it was Roke who was like, I'll be Odysseus, you be Achilles in this game. Um, and so I'm kind of curious if that plays out a little bit more, like Darrow being a metaphor for Achilles, because I was just, <laughs> I was remembering the movie Troy. And this actually happened in, in the Iliad, too. But um, at the beginning, Achilles' mother says, or she foretells that if um, Achilles goes to Troy and agrees to enter this war, he will achieve like glorious deeds and he will be remembered forever, but he will die young. And she says if he chooses not to go to Troy, he'll live a life of obscurity, and um, but he'll have... A, a really good family he'll have a loving wife and he'll die an old man mm-hmm. and so and he 
obviously chooses to go to the Trojan War for a chance to, you know, get glory. But, you know, the caveat is that he will have a very short life, but be remembered through the ages. And I'm so curious to know if that is going to play out in the series, because Darrow had a very similar choice where he could have chosen to stay in the Red Sector. He would have had a loving wife. He would have lived a life of obscurity. And, you know, a few people would remember him when he died, but that's it. But instead, he chooses to kind of take up this higher, um, you know, this this role that could bring him great glory. But it made me afraid because I'm like, what if I think he's going to die at the end of this? Well, there are two things that I just thought of. One was, I forget who said it in the book, but they were basically like, your life thread is so strong. That's why everyone around you is dying or something. And that, oh. I think it maybe was Severo's dad or something when he was saying something like, I don't want my son near you because you're going to kill mm-hmm. him. But... Um, The other thing is, remember at the beginning when they were going to the, like, Luna Celebration Gala, whatever it was, thing, and I think it was Roke told Tactus, like, eventually you're going to settle down and have a wife and, like, live this happy, normal life, and he was basically like, oh, that sounds terrible. (laughs) I don't know why that just seemed kind of foreshadowing of something similar. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I mean... You know how I always think that if everyone survives something like a civil war, that doesn't make any sense. So yeah. I, I, at some point, I wonder if he'll be more of a figurehead, than, or, you know, not a figurehead, but a martyr head, spearhead kind of thing. <laughs> a martyr head. A martyr head. <laughs> well, also, like, because in the tale of Achilles, like, um, he couldn't be controlled by Agamemnon. He was the one who was supposed to be kind of directing him, and he split ties with him, which is kind of similar to what Augustus does to Darrow. He, you know, cancels his contract and puts him up for auction, like auctions off his services. Um, and then the whole thing with, um, in, in the Iliad, um, uh, his cousin, Patroclus, uh, takes up his armor and goes under disguise and um, is killed by Hector, and that animosity between that's what caused so much animosity between Hector and Achilles. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, you know, Julian's death and how mm-hmm. they blamed each other over over that death. And that's mm-hmm. like what created the feud. I mean, it doesn't quite line up since Patroclus was Achilles' cousin, not Hector's, but um, just the idea of like a, a death that didn't need to happen. Because Hector yeah, no, there's didn't a lot know of parallels. he was fighting. Mm-hmm. He thought he was fighting Achilles, and Darrow didn't have... Well, he had a choice, but, you know, he was kind of forced to kill Julian. It's kind of the idea of, um, you know, this tragic death that shouldn't have happened that sparks this um, animosity between these two big players. So did the Bologna-Augustus rivalry start when Mustang and Jackal's older son was killed, or was it going on long before that? Um... I think it started with his older brother because he made um, advances on the other guy's girl, and they fought that big bloody duel. Yeah, duel over a girl. Yeah, so that was where it started. So then it seems, it seems like it just escalated so much when Julian died, but it seems like it should have already been essentially the same thing in the opposite direction before, right? Yeah, it almost seems like it should have been solved by now, or at least, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's. I mean, it, it's. There's so many good stories about families like that fighting. I mean, it's like it's like Romeo and Juliet, essentially, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also interesting when you think that he also doesn't like the arch governor because that's the one who killed his wife. 
Sure. But that's who he needs as an ally. And and now he's teaming up with the Jackal. Because he needs which, his protection. Which we all know is going <laughs> to not be a good pairing in the long term. But it's a question of who outsmarts who and, you know, how far they get with each other and whatnot. Oh, gosh. That guy's just so unpredictable. Like when he killed his father's heir, Leto. Yeah. Oh, my God. But he's also really useful right now with his whole media influence. That was a smart move. It was kind of interesting to see, like, the political side of things, too, as much as there was a lot of war pieces to it. um, You do see how, like, Mustang has more of a political mind and uh, the Jackal's doing kind of some of this other stuff and even Pliny or whatever the guy's name was. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just all the other pieces going on in this this world right now. And I love seeing – I don't know I said this before, but the other colors right now, I think – I think it's a much, there's a lot, it's a lot bigger than the last book. It is. And there's just so much packed into such a short book. I, it's, it's like, it's a race to keep up with this <laughs> and keep everything straight. But it's, it is really, it is really good. And I'm, I'm really enjoying reading it. Uh, okay. We are at the one hour mark. Okay. So we should. Uh... So we should wrap it up. Oh, quickly. We wanted to say um, that we got bookmarks made finally. Yay. We're super excited about them. So if you want a free bookmark, just go around to some bookstores in Chicago and Atlanta and uh, help yourself. And thank you to everyone who has been, you know, commenting on Facebook and following our Instagram account. We really, really appreciate it. And let us know other book ideas. Too. Yeah, yeah. If you have any favorite series that you want us to read and talk about. Um, maybe Butcher. No, I'm just kidding. And, and mispronounce all of the characters' names. And maybe the title of the book itself, you know. <laughs> drop us a line. Um, okay. Oh, you know what? I need to tell you a joke. You do. All right. So I have one that is... <laughs> I know we're not supposed to talk Harry, about Harry Potter, but... <laughs> but we Harry, always do. It's a Harry Potter joke. Okay, I'm excited. All right, here goes. Um, how did Harry Potter come down the hill? Um, uh, I, I don't know. Walking. JK, rolling. <laughs> <laughs> At first when you said walking, I was going to be like, that's not even funny. <laughs> Worst joke ever. <laughs> Well, and then I thought you were going to say walking, and then you were going to be like, how does, like, Draco Malfoy come down the hill and then be, like, slithering or something? That's, that's where <laughs> oh! I thought that was going. <laughs> that's, uh, a really good, that's a really good counter joke. <laughs> okay, finish reading Golden, Golden Boy. Boy. No, Golden Sun. <laughs> and have a great week, and bye, bookworms. Day Golden. Just kidding. <laughs> Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.